Welcome to HR Latte, your connection to all things HR. Today's great HR department is foundational for today's successful business. Listen in as host Rayanne Thorne gets personal with practitioners and technologists, experts and thought leaders who care about the world of human resources. And now for your next cup of talent management, whipped to perfection. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another series on HR Latte. This series that I'm kicking off is called Harassment and Assault Prevention. I have a great guest, Lauren Rizal, who is an expert in this field. And I'm going to give her an opportunity to introduce herself. And then we'll, we're going to jump right in. I mean, you know how I do this on HR Latte. I don't mess around with intros and fancy time ahead of time because I want to dive right into the topic. So first off, Lauren, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you reaching out to me. Tell us a little bit about yourself and why we should actually listen to you on this topic. Sure. I empower people to walk through the world with less fear and more confidence. For going on uh, about 26 years now through my communication consulting firm, Esteem, I offer harassment and assault prevention trainings to companies, organizations, colleges, pretty much anywhere I can get a group together. And I've reached around 30,000 participants so far. Well, I really appreciate you um, coming on the show and talking about this particular issue. It seems to be all over the headlines. I did a quick Google search this morning on sexual harassment in the workplace. And of course, the first several articles were about Uber and Twitter and, and tech companies and startup and founders sleeping with investors and all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening today in the workplace. In particular, I find what's happening in technology companies interesting because that's where I live. That's where I work, right? So before we jump into some of those topics, let's talk about the basics. Let's talk exactly about what sexual harassment in the workplace is. And maybe if you can touch on the legalities that are there. I mean, what sometimes, you know, we don't know, and we're going to hit this a little bit more in future episodes, but sometimes we don't know, was that flirting or was that sexual harassment? So give us the basics. So most people who've taken a sexual harassment prevention training through their workplace are going to be familiar with the legal definition. It's basically defined as unwanted sexual advances or visual, verbal, or physical conduct that's of a sexual nature. So this definition includes lots of different kinds of offensive behavior, also includes gender-based harassment of the person, so it doesn't have necessarily have to do with wanting to have sex with them. But when you look at the definition, it's really based in, there's two parts, there's two kinds. The first kind of harassment is the kind that people think of, I think, most commonly when they hear the word sexual harassment, and that's quid pro quo. So that's a term that means this for that, right? So right. If, if you have sex with me, I'll give you a promotion. If you go out with me, I won't fire you, right? So it can be either way. It can be a positive thing you get from it or a detriment. So that happens, but that doesn't happen as often as the other type of harassment, which is hostile work environment. And that's where it gets tricky and murky and we have to kind of go, what's what here? Right. So this is when people have some inappropriate or unwelcome sexual conduct. It may be a sexual advance. It may be something less direct than that, but it's creating what's a, an abusive or hostile work environment. And so this, you know, we have to look at what the reasonable person would consider a hostile work environment, right? So this is not something that's written down. Look, this is definitely harassment. This is definitely right. not. This is really interesting to me because, and you and I have talked about this, I may not find something harassing. Right. Whereas my coworker or somebody sitting, you know, three seats down for me or somebody, in, in my case, I'm a virtual employee, somebody that is, you know, living in Texas may find 
what happened to me harassment, even though I don't. So they can view it and say that was sexual harassment, report it, and then it can be an issue, even though I had no intention on reporting it. Yes, because both of those types of harassment, they require that the, the conduct be unwelcome. Okay. So that is an indicator. So if, if you're fine with that particular flirtatious comment and someone else isn't, then that is what determines it. It's in the eyes of the receiver. So now then people think, well, wait, then what if you have someone who's super sensitive and they're just thinking everything's harassment? Well, right. that's, that's where that reasonable, the reasonable, person, right. Yeah. Comes in. So that, that's where we start to gauge that. But yes, you have to, it has to be the person on the receiving end who's sort of determining what does this feel like? So, you know, I mean, reasonable can mean something different <laughs> to every person, right? Because for me or for my neighbor, it, it could mean something completely different. So I guess it just comes down to if it is raised as an issue, all parties being involved in a resolution of some kind or hopefully not going the legal route, but more often than not, it seems like it's going that way or exposure online or somebody writing an expose or sending out a bunch of tweets or some type of social content that is released, like what we saw happen with Uber back in February. So let's talk about that particular example, right? And I don't know the details about, you know, in the trench details that happened at Uber. I just know what I've read, what I've what I've heard, what I've discussed with colleagues, what I've discussed with friends, what I've discussed with you. So how do we address what's happened, what's continuing to happen, happen at, at Uber? I think when my last, last thing I read, 20 people have been fired as a result of not just the exposure that occurred in February um, of the former female employer who said, hey, this is what happened to me but just from investigations that have taken place. I know that Eric Holder was asked to to look into some of these incidences as a private attorney, give advice. And I know that he he actually mentioned in a couple of reports that, hey, you guys could really benefit from tracking HR interaction with employees. And it doesn't look like that's happened. So what actually happened at Uber? If you could you know, give us your expertise on this? And how can other organizations look at that and say, okay, we need to prevent this from happening and then maintain some type of level of an understanding of of this is what happened and how do we prevent future? So maintenance, you know, finding a maintenance level that is tolerable to everybody, whether it's a a gender issue, a sexual orientation issue, a racial issue, any type of discrimination or bias, what can we do? What can we learn? from what happened at Uber. Right. Okay. So there's a lot in that question. I know. <laughs> but I think the thing we have to understand first and foremost is that it's a, it's a systemic problem, right? We know about the Uber incident because one woman was brave enough to tell her story in a blog post and then that opened up the floodgates, right? And if you want to go into a little bit of detail about that, uh, Susan Fowler, after yes. she was no longer with the company, wrote the blog. And the key things that come out in her blog are that When something inappropriate happened to her and it was a supervisor emailing her that, you know, he was interested in in having a sexual relationship, she went immediately to HR with that, assuming that they would address the problem properly and that then she'd just move on and everything would be okay. And that was the first breakdown is that HR did not do that. They basically said, okay, well, this is a first offense for him, so we're not really going to do anything about it. And it turned out down the line, once other people came forward, it was not his first offense. It was not the first complaint. 
that they kept saying that to every victim. And oh. right. So HR had the opportunity, the organization had the opportunity to address the situation and did not. And that's why it blew up. So it did did Miss Fowler do something wrong? Was there something else she should have done or could have done? No, she went to the people that she was supposed to go to. And this is another problem that some companies have, especially the younger startups where they maybe don't have professional HR people or they have not had them trained properly. You want to have a chain of command and you want to have a clear route that people can take for their complaints, right? So if your complaints with your supervisor, then you can't go to your supervisor to complain about them, right? You have to, so who's the next person you go to? Who is that? Is there an HR director? Is there, do you go directly to the head of the company, depending on the size of the company? But it should be very clear to all employees, how can I get my complaint handled? Mm -hmm. And if you have somebody influential like Ariana Huffington, who's on your board board of directors and doesn't seem to step up immediately and say, yeah, there's a problem, right? So this perpetuates the image, I think, for tech companies to still carry on with the good old boys club, right? You and I talked about this, that, that I just don't under, I don't understand how it, how it continued and they got away with it. What were this, the symptoms ahead of time that allowed this to continue? Was it the inexperienced HR department? Was it the fact that there was not support from the executive team to really back this up, was it because the executive team was kind of involved in it? Was it because maybe the board of directors didn't step in and really say this has to change? Was it because the employees were not vocal enough that were experiencing this? I mean, does it go back to just being a systemic issue throughout? Yeah, Rayanne, everything that you just said is is absolutely true. All of those, it's all in combination. So we've got a leadership that's not stepping forward and saying, we don't tolerate this behavior. You've got an HR department that didn't respond properly. I think that Susan Fowler may have been one of the most vocal, but again, she came out. She wasn't the only one though. That's what's shocking, right? Right. So, so, but, but when someone does come forward, it does encourage others to do so. Right. And so I always tell employees, you know, so, so you have an issue with someone and You don't really want to make a big deal of it. A lot of times people won't come forward, believe it or not, because they're afraid that too much is going to happen to the person who is harassing them. In other words, I don't want this person to be fired. I just want the behavior to stop. And I'm afraid if I, if I report something, right, they're going to get fired. And really that, of course, as we know, if we look at any of these cases, that's not what's happening. But the other reason why it's important to speak up, even if you think you can handle it or you're, you know, you're a tough woman and you're not going to let this bring you down is because you're not the only target. Someone who does this doesn't do it to one person. So you need to come forward in order for everybody's voices to be heard so that, oh, then the company can realize we really do have a problem here. All right. So there's so much to talk about. And we're going to, this series is going to, we're going to do three or four episodes in this series so that we can cover as much as we can. We're going to take a quick break and hear a little bit from our sponsor, Dovetail Software. But when we come back, Lauren and I are going to talk about the best way for an organization to address and prevent these type of issues moving forward. We'll be right back. HR Latte is brought to you by Dovetail Software, a SaaS-based HR case management and help desk solution to ease today's HR departments into tomorrow. Simple but powerful real-time employee engagement, knowledge management, 
and detailed analytics empower human resource departments and shared services teams to effectively handle any type of employee interaction. Dovetail Software by HR for HR. Okay, and we are back continuing the very first episode in my series, Harassment and Assault Prevention, with my guest expert, Lauren Rizal, on this particular topic, which is seems to be everywhere on the news today. I know that we've talked a lot about it at Dovetail and how our product can help organizations um, track interactions with HR and how this could potentially, if it's tracked properly, if HR steps up, can help prevent issues in the future like what has been happening with Uber and other companies that have have been exposed to have this issue. Lauren, I know we're not going to be able to solve this problem in one episode or maybe even five or six episodes. You and I aren't going to be able to solve this issue. So first of all, if there is an issue, how they can address it and then how they can prevent it from happening in the future. Okay. You know, with that question of how do we address it, the thing that needs to be acknowledged is that it's not a personal problem. In other words, everyone needs to understand this, but particularly whoever is in leadership in the, in the organization needs to understand that harassment is not a personal problem of the individual who's the recipient, but it's more, it's a challenge to the values and, and the integrity of the organization. And I guess, you know, really its ability to effectively run, run its business. So if we come at it from that perspective, then some of the things fall into place about what we should be doing, right? So there are two things that organizations need to keep in mind when it comes to preventing something. The most effective way to prevent is to have a leader in your department or in your organization who's actually saying out loud, hey, we're a professional organization. You know, if you ever feel that you're being treated unfairly, if someone says something or threatens you or does something that's not acceptable, then you can go to HR. You can come to me. We're not going to run this business this way. I, re- I mean it, right? Everyone needs to understand that and then say, you know, can I answer any questions? Like you literally put it out there so that they know that this is coming from the top, that we don't allow that kind of behavior. And when you have a leader who's saying that, who's doing that, who's modeling that, who's repeating that, that's how the message gets through. But of course, unfortunately, that's not what typically happens. Well, it's not what, not what happened at Uber, apparently, you know, because the HR chief that was taking some of these allegations, like you mentioned earlier, was saying, oh, wow, shocking. I'll look into it. Right. And then nothing happened. And then didn't. Right. Right. So the second thing that I recommend is companies have to do sexual harassment prevention trainings for their supervisors. But I recommend that you do a live in-person training rather than online. And I mean, I've got a list of like 10 reasons why companies should bring an expert from the outside in. But I'm going to just highlight a couple for you to kind of understand. When you have interaction between a trainer and the participants, then the training can be more tailored to the specific culture of that organization, right? Because if you have, you know, if I'm doing a training at a law firm, what's appropriate in a law firm is very different from what's appropriate on a television set, right? And so you can really tailor the program to kind of make sense to the people in that organization. So explain explain what you mean. Give me an example of how what something that would be different on a television set, maybe that would be acceptable versus something at a law firm. So at a law firm, if someone came up to a coworker and saw that they were having a hard day and it started to give them a little neck rub, a little shoulder rub, most firms would look askance at that and be like, what is going on with that? Whoa, that's not appropriate for this workplace that they're, someone's getting a massage. Right. right? Whereas on a movie or television set, that would be like the norm. Like, right. Okay. No one even glanced at that. So it's those kinds of things where you're figuring out what's appropriate. It's not about 
what's legal and illegal for any workplace as so much as it's really about what's appropriate and inappropriate, then you don't have to worry about the illegal, right? Because you're never going to go there. Right. Um, so another benefit to live training is the use of role plays to illustrate your issues, especially when we're talking about those gray areas of the you know hostile work environment. So something we always do in our classes is we break them up into small groups and they create their own role play to kind of create a scenario that could possibly happen in their workplace and let's decide whether or not that crosses the line or not. That's where real learning takes place when you engage people like that. And then one important benefit that really shouldn't be overlooked in live training is the issue of accountability. You know, it's one thing to click through an online training on your own, but it's another thing to be face-to-face with all your colleagues in a training where you're all now agreeing what's appropriate and inappropriate in this workplace. And now you know the proper way to respond to harassment or possible harassment in your workplace because you're all in it together and you sort of have that accountability. Oh, it, it makes me think of like if you might be at the, the coffee machine and somebody says something inappropriate and everybody stops and looks at each other. Okay, was was that, did that offend you? Did that offend you? Did, you know, it's right. It gives that mutual understanding. I'm going to go back to this this word that I keep hearing Something that I've used for years because I've talked about epistemology or this the systems thinking approach to running a business. There also needs to be an understanding or a systemic approach right. to prevention of sexual harassment so that there's a general understanding by everybody that what will not be tolerated, what is appropriate, right? I mean, when I think of how you, you mentioned the two different environments, whether a law firm or a television set, right? I mean, chances are on the television set, Many of the actors are going to be running around in robes, costume changes right out in front of everybody. You would never do that at a law firm. So there's lots of different things that play into this and understanding how each organization would be different and what acceptance is. So the role playing obviously could be tailored for any one particular organization. And so when it comes down to it, Lauren, when we talk about this issue, is it the individual's responsibility? Is it HR's responsibility? How often should training be conducted by law? I know it's probably different state to states. And, and so so let's and talk about California. Some states, sorry, some states don't even have a requirement. Law. No, oh. I know. So if, but if it's, a, it's, if it's a state that's based in Texas and they have employees in California, they have to adhere to California employment law, correct? That's correct. So organizations need to be aware whether or not they're based. I work for a company in New York that that was a startup and they were totally unaware. I was living in California at the time, totally unaware of employment law in California and the different aspects that that should have brought to their organization. And so it's so many people just think it's easy to start a company and I can have employees everywhere because it's cheaper, but you still have to understand what's going on from state to state. So it's very important. This is where it comes back to having um, trained HR employees. There you go. Know what they know, they may not know the answer, but they know the questions they need to ask, right? To right. get to the answers, absolutely. Okay, so Lauren, in sexual harassment prevention training in California, I believe the law in California is every two years for organization wide. Does is that well, correct? Oh, it's every two years for in, any company with 50 or more employees, and it's only for the supervisors that it's required. Okay, okay. So if a new supervisor is hired within that two-year mark, do they undergo sexual harassment prevention training alone on their own before they are? Is that supposed that, to happen? That's up to the company. That's okay. not required. But if, if they've been there for two years, they then to. Okay. it's going to happen in that period. All right. 
It's like I said, there's so much to dissect in this issue. Let, let's talk, you know, we talked a little bit about this. Let's, how can other people help? Oh, that's a um, great question. And before we do that, let's, let me ask you this one question. Is sexual harassment only from a man to a woman? No. The latest research, if I'm not mistaken, is about 10% of harassment is not male perpetrator, female target. Sometimes it's female to female, and people are surprised by that. Like, how does that work? Well, it's the power dynamic. If you right. have one in a power position, and they can use their gender in, in whatever way they want to to take advantage or pressure someone, so that can right. happen female to female. And it also happens female to male, where you could have a female boss who is pressuring a male subordinate. Traditionally, it's usually going to be male to female because of the, again, more men in power positions. And then in our culture, men coming from that position of power. It, it'll be interesting to see what shifts as more and more women move into executive leadership roles. I, mean, I think I cited a stat years ago about how 11 million more women have graduated from college than men since 1981, 82, something like that. And so that that means, what that means is that more and more women are of the age now that they would be, as college graduates, that would be in executive leadership, have executive leadership opportunities. So it'll be interesting to see if, if this dynamic shifts. One of the stats that you shared with me is that one in every three women have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. Yes. Yeah. I'm astounded by that. And it's scary and it's sad. And I think that it's important for everybody to understand what that means. So how can others help? So yeah, that is a great question because presumably most of your listeners are not harassers and hopefully not the target of harassers, right? Right. Um, but everyone else is in another category and that's the bystander. The message is, is that I would give is very similar to what I would teach in an anti-bullying training. You know, you can't change a bully or a harasser's attitudes in a two-hour training. You just can't. But you can change their behavior in the workplace. And you can do this in two ways. One way is accomplished by the people who are on the receiving end of that behavior, speaking up either by setting a boundary or with the harasser or reporting them up the management chain. So that's ideal. When someone can like stand up for themselves and they can be assertive, but not all situations can that work. And before we leave that, tell me what that, what that entails, because some women feel like they, they have no choice. They can't, they just have to buck up and be quiet and take it. What does that look like? If somebody say I'm getting a cup of coffee, if somebody comes up behind me, behind me and says, wow, you look great today. And I feel instantly uncomfortable with that. What could I do that would instantly stop that? Well, Everybody's going to be individual in their approach. But in general, what you want to do is couch your response in not in an attack, but just in your feelings and how you what's happening for you. So there's a conflict resolution skill. It kind of goes like this. It's when you I feel I need you to or I want you to. So when you talk about my appearance like that, it makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I'd really prefer you didn't do that. And then you've set a boundary. Now, if that person's going to respect the boundary, that's it. They're going to say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to make you uncomfortable. That wasn't my intent, right? And then you're like, great. Now we're on the same page. If they were trying to kind of push a boundary and, and kind of test you to see how you would react, you've just failed their interview. Mm. And they're no longer going to probably do that behavior with you. Now that's, you know, that's in a perfect world. That's how that happens. It's not always that perfect. And sometimes we don't feel comfortable enough or strong enough because maybe the person who's doing the harassing is our direct supervisor. And that power dynamic can make it very scary. 
to speak up because what's going to be the repercussion of that, right? But that's again where the bystanders can come in because sometimes things happen when no one's around, granted. But a lot of times people see what's going down. And so instead of not saying anything or not doing anything, especially for supervisors, this is really critical. If you see something that you think may have crossed a line, follow up on it. You know, check in with the potential victim. If you're present when something's happening that's inappropriate in your workplace, don't just stand there trying to figure out, did it cross the legal line or not? Don't think about it that way. Step in and say, hey, I don't think that's a con- a, an appropriate conversation for work, right? And ultimately, it's all the people in the workplace, but especially those in positions of power that determine whether or not it's a safe, comfortable environment for everyone. So this interesting thing about this is it, if you don't say anything, you become part of the problem. If you see something and you know or you think that that individual that was on the receiving end of it felt uncomfortable right. and you don't say anything, you have crossed over to the side of the, the right. perpetrator, right? When there's inaction, if you're standing there and you're, say you're the victim, you're, you're feeling uncomfortable with whatever's going down and you've got the person who's doing it and then you've got another person who's just standing there. If they do nothing, where do you think their allegiance lies? Right. You're going to naturally assume, oh, they, they're with that person. They're with him. They don't think this is a problem. They're enjoying watching right. this happen. So that's the assumption. But if that person came up to you afterwards, not even going up to the harasser, but going up to the, the person who felt uh, victimized or, or you think might have been victimized and said, hey, you know, I just saw that thing go down over there. Are you okay with that? Was that did that make you uncomfortable? Immediately now they are being validated for, oh, Someone else is acknowledging this happened. Yeah, right. that was real. And it can make you think, okay, yeah, I was uncomfortable. Or you might also be like, you know what? No, that's just the relationship we have and it was no big deal. And then it's like, okay, that's clean too. Right. But if, if you are, if you're a supervisor, it's on you to don't wait for someone to come to you with a complaint. If you see something that you think may have been harassment, check it out. If you see something you know is harassment, obviously check it out. If you did something inadvertently that now you look at, you look back and go, you know what? Ooh, I think that conversation took too much of a personal turn and maybe they were uncomfortable. Maybe I was actually doing something that made someone uncomfortable. Don't just let it go. Go follow up with that person. So it's okay to be proactive if you feel like you, you may be perceived as somebody who did the harassing. Sure. Absolutely. Not just wish it goes away. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, maybe you're a touchy-feely person yeah. and you naturally touch people more than other people. And then you yeah. realize, oh, as a supervisor, I maybe shouldn't have done that yeah. because they don't feel comfortable enough to tell me that they're uncomfortable. <laughs> right? So much to talk about here, Lauren. We're going to wrap up for today, but we're going to come back with a, a couple more episodes and dive in a little bit deeper on this issue of harassment and assault prevention. So big on the news today when we consider the topics of Bill Cosby, what's mm-hmm. going on at Uber and others in the news that are bringing a, a shining a, a more a bright light on this issue and how we can prevent it and then somehow maintain the professionalism that, that most of us expect. But like I said, one third of all women in the workplace have experienced or been the recipient of sexual harassment. So I really appreciate you uh, coming on and, and being my guest on this topic. Any final comments? And um, if when you wrap that up, Lauren, if you could let us know how we can reach you. 
Well, no, I thank you so much for having me. I think we did a pretty good job of, of at least touching on some yes. of the critical issues around this. I do have a special offer for your podcast listeners. Oh, great. The first uh, 30 to respond get a 10% discount on any of our trainings they booked this year. Oh, perfect. Uh, the website they can go to is esteemcommunication.org slash podcast. Oh, perfect. All right. Well, we will also list that link in the bio for this show so that the listeners have a chance to click through and see a little bit about the more of the work that you're you're providing and the information education that you're sharing with the world. So Lauren, I really appreciate you being my guest today. Lauren Roselle, expert on uh, harassment and assault prevention. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you. 